0: The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the Trump fantasy rally continued today. Although, of course, the big irony here is that all of these stock traders who were so worried and petrified and sending out warnings about how bad it was going to be if uh, Donald Trump was actually elected, now, of course, he's Ronald Reagan reincarnated. And, you know, they're partying like it's uh, 1983, you know, not 1980 because, of course, or 81 when Ronald Reagan first stepped in because the market had a very difficult couple of years because we went through the worst recession before we got that Reagan rally. But, you know, we're going to skip all that this time. It's amazing that people believe that you can have reckless monetary policy for eight years. You can have zero percent interest rates. You can have all this quantitative easing. You can have this gigantic bubble and then we could magically go from a bubble economy to a real economy without any pain in between. I mean, if that really were the case, the Fed would have tried to raise interest rates a long time ago. The fact that they've been stuck at zero is proof that they really can't go up. But now everybody seems to dismiss all those concerns simply because Donald Trump is president, even though this is the exact same guy who scared to bejesus out of everybody right up until the moment that he was elected, and now, of course, uh, everything is going to be great. But, of course, everything is not going to be great. This fantasy is going to come crashing into a wall of reality. Meanwhile, you know, the stock market rally did fizzle out today. I mean, the market was up most of the day, and the Dow managed to eke out just about a two-point gain, although the Nasdaq was down about 56 points. Most of the action, though, again today was in other markets. Oil prices up about 10% on the day, crude up, uh, just under $4 a barrel. I think up $375 now, I'm looking at just below $49 a barrel was the close. I saw earlier today we almost got to 50. I think we got to about $49.80. The catalyst for the surge in oil prices was a deal by OPEC to restrict output. Finally, OPEC getting their act together. You got the Saudis, you got the Russians working together uh, to reduce production and increase the price of oil. Of course, with the dollar continuing to strengthen, that means oil prices are rising even faster for everybody outside the United States. Bond market, of course, getting clobbered again today. Higher oil prices, not good for the bond market. Also got some stronger than expected economic data out today. A lot of it having to do with the euphoria Surrounding the Trump win, all of a sudden people getting more optimistic about the economy. We did get the ADP number that came out today, the jobs number, which is the precursor to the uh, granddaddy, the official uh, Labor Department number we get on Friday. This one was better than expected by about fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 jobs. But I think they revised downward the prior month by more than was expected. But I do believe that because they just recently changed The methodology here, these numbers are not too reliable. We're probably going to get another big revision next month. So overall, this number was probably going to end up being a miss by the time they revise it again. But meanwhile, uh, the markets are still looking at this stronger data, looking at higher oil prices. So the bond market got clobbered once again today, although off the lows, the yield on the 30-year closing at 3017 and on the 10-year, 2.368. We were above 2.4 on the 10-year earlier in the day and almost at 3.1 on the 30-year. Gold prices, again, down about 15 bucks as a result of higher interest rates and higher inflation and higher oil prices and the idea that the economy is going to strengthen. But all of this ignores the fact that higher inflation, rising long-term interest rates, these are all bullish things for gold. If you go back and you look at bull markets in gold, and you'll find that you gold has its best run when long-term interest rates are rising, right? Because inflation is good for gold because people buy gold as a hedge against inflation. Whereas right now the markets are buying the dollar as a hedge against inflation, which makes absolutely no sense because Under inflation, the dollar is losing value. That is exactly what's happening, right? When you're inflating the currency, when the dollar is losing purchasing power, why would you buy the dollar to protect yourself from a loss of value of the dollar? It doesn't make any sense. Again, it's all predicated on the idea that the Federal Reserve is going to aggressively raise interest rates to contain the increase in inflation, but there is no indication that that's going to happen. In fact, it's impossible. For that to happen. So you've got rising oil prices, which means higher inflation, but also higher interest rates. I mentioned this in my last podcast, nobody wants to talk about this. But higher interest rates also mean higher inflation because interest is a cost. I mean, especially for small businesses, a lot of these service providers, they have a lot of debt. And if their cost of servicing their debt is going to go up, that's a big cost component of their business, they're going to have to pass that on to the consumer. Especially landlords, people that own property, they have a lot of debt and if their mortgage rates are going up, well they're going to increase the rents that they're charging their tenants. So higher interest rates are inflationary. Now you've got gas prices rising, all of this stuff is going to put upward pressure on consumer prices, but that's going to put downward pressure on economic growth. Everybody thinks oh we're going to have all this growth under the Trump presidency. Where's it going to come from? I mean, what has been driving the economy all these years under the bubble? It's been the housing market, it's been the auto market. All of those markets are uh, driven by cheap money and credit. Well, the, the spigot is shut now, so the auto bubble is bursting, the housing bubble is bursting. How is the economy going to suddenly just you know accelerate with these engines you know flaming out? And you know you look at we got data today that showed a big drop already. In mortgage applications, in mortgage uh, refinances. So the economy can't just seamlessly pivot from a bubble to genuine economic growth. Now people are talking about these tax cuts or maybe the consumer is going to have some extra money by tax cuts. Well, it's not going to offset the higher cost of debt. It's not going to offset other higher costs uh, that are going to be weighing down the economy. Meanwhile, people forget the economy is already slipping back into recession. Sure, we had this crazy uh, third quarter where we had this 3% growth or now 3-2 now, whatever I think uh, they've got it at. But remember, I talked about that initially. It was the result of a surge in soybean experts and a build in inventories that is already being reversed. In fact, the Atlanta Fed, which had another one of these crazy uh, estimates for the fourth quarter, they were well up there at, what, 3.6. They reduced today from 3.6 down to 2.4. That was just in one day what they took down the estimate for the fourth quarter. But I still think that number is high, uh, looking at what's going on with inventories and the trade deficit. We had a big jump in the trade deficit uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. That's going to get worse now with the spike in oil prices. I mean, we import all this oil, and that's going to ideally send the, the trade deficit even higher, which, of course, subtracts from, from GDP. But one of the stories that nobody really seemed to be focusing on today was Donald Trump's pick, to be the new Secretary of the Treasury or, you know, more aptly put, Secretary of the Debt. Because as I said before, we don't have anything in the Treasury. All we have is IOUs. So the job of the Secretary of the Treasury is to manage the debt, right? That's why I keep saying that we should have Bernie Madoff as the Secretary of the Treasury because really what we're managing is a Ponzi scheme. And he's the most experienced person alive today, with running and concealing Ponzi schemes. Although the government, you know, they don't even try to conceal it. Many times they'll go out and admit it's a Ponzi scheme. That's how ridiculous it is. But uh, the new Secretary of Treasury, and by the way, this pick, this is business as usual, a former Goldman Sachs banker. You know, Donald Trump had the opportunity to really go outside the box. Apparently he met with John Allison, who is a great candidate, would have been a great Secretary of the Treasury because he is a real libertarian, you know, Ayn Rand aficionado, he's a proponent of the gold standard, he's a good guy. I've had many personal conversations with him over the years, and he would have been an excellent Secretary of the Treasury if we actually wanted to change or break from the pattern of the past, Uh, but not so. Donald Trump uh, went for a politically safe appointee, somebody who was a big fundraiser and who was friendly with other uh, big supporters of the Trump campaign. But this guy is business as usual. Now, one of the things that he said, he was interviewed on on CNBC today, and he mentioned that he wants to lengthen the maturity of the national debt, that the maturity is too short. And, you know, I've been talking about this for years. This, This mistake started under Clinton, right? We started to shorten the maturity of the national debt way back then under Robert Rubin. And now he says, well, you know, we need to lengthen the maturity. We need to take advantage of these low interest rates while they're here because they're not going to stay low forever. So let's, you know, start locking in these low rates. Well, that's easier said than done. In fact, it's you can only say it; it's impossible to do it because if the Treasury tried to refinance the Treasury bills with 30 year bonds, interest rates would skyrocket in the long end. I mean, they're already moving up rapidly now and they're not even trying to do it. But my guess would be if they actually tried to do this, the cost would be so prohibitively expensive. Remember, they'd be rolling over bonds where they're paying maybe 25 basis points, 30, 40 basis points. And now they're going to have to pay 400 basis points, 500 basis points. That's where I think the yields would be at least four or 5% on a 30-year bond, which means you're talking about 10 times the cost. So, you know, right now we're spending $250 billion a year on interest. I mean, what, how can we, can we really afford to spend a trillion dollars a year on interest payments? Because that might be the added cost to actually try to refinance this debt in any meaningful way uh, from T-bills to treasury bonds. And, of course, that's before we get any of the tax cuts or the increases in government spending. So the budget deficit would already skyrocket just based on the attempt to refinance before we did any of the tax cuts or spending increases. So what he is saying is impossible. But if the bond markets actually believe that Steve Munchen, this, the, that's the, the guy's name, if he, they actually believed that he was going to do this, I think bond prices would be collapsing even faster than they're already collapsing because this means massive amounts of supply, not just the bigger deficits that would result from the tax cuts and the spending hikes that have been promised, But the fact that these deficits are going to be financed with long-term bonds and the fact that they're going to try to restructure uh, the existing, the outstanding maturities from short-term to long-term bonds. So none of this can actually happen. I mean, nobody wants to acknowledge this elephant in the living room that makes this impossible. And by the way, this guy was also talking about why he wants to privatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and, of course, stock of both these companies have been soaring ever since um, Trump was elected. They were up about 35 40% again today each. Because before there was talk about shutting these companies down, which is exactly what we should have done. But now Donald Trump wants to reprivatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That would be a disaster. That would be horrible for the economy. Why would we want to do that? But of course, right now, What's going on is just as bad because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac still exist, and they're still able to issue mortgages that are guaranteed by the government. What we need to do is shut them down completely and get the government out of the mortgage finance business entirely. But what Trump wants to do is put the government back in the mortgage business, back with its partners, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that were quasi-government. They were private companies, but they were able to issue bonds with government guarantees. So- The only way to reprivatize them and to still have them perform their desired function would be to once again allow these companies to issue bonds with U.S. government guarantees, which means we're right back in the same moral hazard that led to the bankruptcy in the first place. And that's going to be a boon for the people who bought the stock. They're going to make a bunch of money because we're going to recreate the very conditions that led to the bankruptcy of these companies and a taxpayer bailout in the first place. So that's the last thing we want to do now. Maybe there are some people that are saying, "Well, wait a minute, we can reprivatize them, but without the government guarantees." Well, then it's not going to work, right? The only, the only, the thing that made these these companies so, uh, you know, so attractive and so viable was that they could borrow money with U.S. government guarantees. But if you take that away, they're just a regular private sector lender. Then you know, there's no more government support for the housing market. Can you imagine? What would happen to lending standards if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were privatized, truly privatized, meaning that they no longer had access to government guarantees? So they can still borrow money and loan it out to Americans to buy houses, but none of their debt would have any kind of government guarantee. Well, if that were to happen, then lending standards would have to tighten dramatically. Forget about this 3% down, 5% down mortgages. You would have to put down 20% to get a house, have to put down 20%. And the lenders would charge a higher rate of interest because they can no longer borrow risk-free, so they would be taking risk. Because remember, the government basically was co-signing everybody's mortgage. So if if you wanted to buy a house and you could get a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac mortgage, it was like the U.S. government co-signed the mortgage. So there was no risk there. Anybody would lend to the U.S. government. It's like buying a treasury. But all of a sudden, if the government's not there and Americans have to qualify for a mortgage simply based on their own ability to to repay, based on their own incomes and their own savings and their own credit worthiness, well, then you're talking about much higher interest rates for mortgages and you're talking about much stricter uh, criteria. You're going to have to have higher income, right, to debt ratios. You're going to have to have better uh, credit quality. So if they really want to uh, privatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, real estate prices are going to collapse because that's the only way that anybody could afford to buy a house with higher down payments and higher mortgage rates is if prices collapse, which means they're not going to do it. So if they actually privatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're going to do it with all the same problems and moral hazards that led it to bankruptcy in the first place. And if they do that, again, it shows it's business as usual in the Trump administration, and there's not gonna be any significant changes from what we had under George Bush. We're going right back into this big government, handing out favors, who's profiting, right? You've got a lot of people who are gonna be profiting, who made investments in these companies by the government's decision, but it is a horrible decision if you believe in the free market, if you believe in capitalism, if you don't believe in bailouts, this is the wrong thing to do, yet it looks like this is exactly where we're headed, unless the markets have it completely wrong. Now, another interesting element of this interview uh, with uh, Stephen Munchin is he talked about the tax cuts that are going to be enacted under Trump. And he basically said that the upper end is not going to get a tax cut, that we're not really going to see a significant decline in marginal tax rates. What we're going to see is maybe a small decline in marginal tax rates, but then we're going to take away deductions So that there's no net tax cut for the upper income, which is the complete opposite of Ronald Reagan's tax cuts, which were substantial, particularly when it comes to the marginal rate. So if you're talking about economic growth, you get all the economic growth from the reduction in the marginal rate of tax, because that's where you're taxing the the next dollar earned. And so you might get uh, more effort, uh, more work when you don't punish it as hard but if you just cut taxes for the middle class if that's all you do is have some kind of middle class tax cut unless you match it with spending cuts it's not going to create any economic growth at all it's just going to create inflation because it just means that the government is going to have to borrow the difference which means the federal reserve is going to have to monetize the difference because we're not going to get any new productivity we're just going to get tax cuts replaced with debt and, you know, borrowing and more money printing. And so all we're going to have is inflation. People are going to take their bigger paychecks and spend it into the economy. But we're not going to have any extra economic growth, the extra production to go along with that. The only way that you can really have middle class tax cuts lead to economic growth is if you also reduce the cost of government. So you free up the resources to finance those tax cuts. But if the government doesn't free up any of those resources, then there's no extra resources to go into the productive economy to produce more. All you're getting is more consumption fueled by tax cuts, and that's pure inflation. So we are going to get a big pickup in inflation. I'm I'm sure of that. But we're not going to get any of the economic growth. We're not even going to get the marginal tax cuts. Now, yes, we might get some corporate tax cuts, uh, a a reduction in the corporate rate of tax from 35 percent to 15 percent which will be good. But the problem is all these corporations are all levered up anyway. Everybody is so excited about what's going to happen to uh, corporations because their taxes are going to be down. But it's not even going to matter. They're not even going to have any income to tax because when interest rates go up, a lot of these companies are going to have losses. And tax cuts don't help you when you have no income to tax when all you have is losses because interest rates are soaring and you lever it up to buy back stock. And then, of course, when a lot of these companies have to sell stock, at lower prices than what they paid to buy it back. So the tax cuts, I don't I don't think, are going to be as big a boon, as people think. And of course, are they really permanent? I mean, what if Trump is a one-termer? What if he cuts taxes and then he's out and some Democrat comes in and jacks him right back up again? So you can never really trust what the government giveth because the government could always take it away. The bottom line to all of this is that there's no way any of this is at all possible unless QE4 is absolutely huge. I mean, that's it, right? We have to have massive quantitative easing for any of this to be reasonably doable. If you're going to have the U.S. Treasury roll over the the debt, right? Lengthen the maturity on the debt. Move from short-term debt to long-term debt. The only way to do that is if the Fed is the buyer. The Fed is going to have to buy all the long-term bonds that the Treasury is trying to sell because nobody else would buy them at a rate of interest that the Treasury could actually afford to pay. So this is going to have to be a huge round of quantitative easing to finance that. Also, if we're going to privatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, if we're going to try to keep mortgage rates low, how are we going to do that? Who's going to have to buy those mortgages? It's going to have to be the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve is going to have to do it. And if we're going to have big middle class tax cuts and no offsetting real extra economic growth, who's going to step up to the plate and buy all those bonds? It's going to have to be the Federal Reserve. I mean, right now, everybody is talking about how the Fed's going to tighten, how they're going to be raising interest rates. And they they haven't connected the dots that all of that is impossible with what Donald Trump and the new Secretary of the Treasury are proposing to do. None of this can happen against the backdrop of rising interest rates. It's impossible. It can only happen if the Federal Reserve prevents interest rates from rising by stepping into the market with massive rounds of quantitative easing. And if people understood that, then the dollar would be falling. The price of gold would be rising right now. But for some reason, people can't think logically. They're just, you know, just, they, they've got this, this narrative and they're going with it. Ever since that reversal, From the night that Trump was elected, the markets have been heading in one direction and whatever news comes out is just folded into that narrative and the markets run with it without understanding the inherent conflicts in what they're saying. Because in reality, I said earlier, rising oil prices, if if this is going to be a beginning of a new trend, uh, falling bond prices, accelerating inflation, all of this is great for gold. None of this is good for the dollar. And again, remember, this is already, I think, the fourth largest, longest economic expansion in U.S. history. And I think by the time um, Trump is sworn in, it'll be the third longest expansion in history. We are due for a recession. We are due for a recession very, very soon. And the, you know this, this outbreak of confidence, you know, consumers now, we had a consumer confidence number that just came out. And it was the highest consumer confidence number since 2007. That's before Obama was president. So by electing Trump, we just had the highest amount of confidence that we've had since Barack Obama's been president. What does that tell you about the phony nature of this recovery when the consumers are now most confident because we've got rid of Obama? Because they think things are gonna get better because now we've elected Trump. Look, hope springs eternal And, you know, when things have been so bad for so long, and now somebody is promising hope and change, something different, people are hopeful. People are confident. Unfortunately, their hope is misplaced. It's not going to turn around. I mean, even if Donald Trump was going to do all the right things, which so far there is no indication that that's going to happen. Every indication that I have so far is it's like we got George Bush in the White House all over again. Right. So. Even if Trump did everything right, things would get a lot worse before they got better. And, and people not, wouldn't even realize that they were going to get better. People would be, oh, my God, this is awful, right? It's always, you know, darkest before the dawn. I mean, if we actually did all the right things, we'd have such a sharp decline. People would be nervous. People would be scared. There'd be blood in the streets. And yes, there'd be a great opportunity to buy U.S. stocks and U.S. bonds and all sorts of U.S. investments if we actually did the right thing but we're not even coming close to doing the right thing, right? So we're just doing the wrong thing. But people are just optimistic simply because they're hopeful, simply because Donald Trump promised that if you just elect me, things are going to be great. Meanwhile, things have been so bad for so long that, hey, people will believe anything, right? You know, that P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. And, you know, there are a lot of them that are hopeful now. A lot of these suckers, you know, are hopeful that, things are actually going to get better magically, right? And that all of the past problems can just be swept under this rug. Like they didn't even happen. That we could just instantaneously, it's like, you know, yes, you're, you, you've are you had this drug problem for decades and you've been high as a kite and you could just go cold turkey and everything's going to be fine. You can just have a normal life and everything can be great. And the fact that you have this huge, giant drug habit, you could just quit a cold turkey and it's not going to affect you at all. Your, your body's not going to miss Any of these toxins is going to be just seamless uh, transition, uh, you know, from where you were to where you want to be. That can't even happen if we're possible, but people aren't thinking about that. So you've got these high levels of confidence among consumers. It's there among investors, but none of it has any basis in actual fact. Anybody who is connecting the dots here and actually looking at the end game could see where this is going. But, you know, the markets don't react that way. They can just see so far and nothing beyond that. So right now, all they can see is, oh, people are happy. Maybe we're going to get these tax cuts. Maybe we're going to have less regulation. We're going to have more economic growth. And so stuff is happening just based on that fantasy. But nobody understands in reality that none of that is possible because we've already built up this gigantic uh, mountain of debt. We have this economy that is so screwed up we have so much malinvestment, resources are so poorly allocated that it is impossible. It's like you can't build a house on a, on a foundation of sand, right? It's just going to collapse. We have to, you know, we have, we need a new foundation. We have to restructure this economy in a profound way. And nobody is talking about doing that, right? And certainly none of the, none of the Trump appointees are talking about that. And nobody on Wall Street is talking about that. So they're just blindly buying these stocks. But again, remember, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, these are the same people that told us it would be a complete disaster if we elected Trump. Now they're thinking it's going to be great. The reality is it's going to be a disaster. They were right initially. But it's not because we elected Trump. That's not why we have a disaster. We have a disaster because we elected Obama, because we elected Bush, because we created these huge problems that are going to blow up probably – on um, on Donald Trump's watch. And ironically, it's possible that Donald Trump will actually accelerate the collapse and it'll happen quicker as a result of Trump than as a result of Hillary, because Clinton would have wanted to just preserve the status quo as long as possible, just prevent the bubble from popping. But if Donald Trump actually tries to change the narrative a bit, he can accelerate the, the popping of this bubble, because all of a sudden we're going to try to make a transition from a bubble to legitimate economic growth sooner. And so we're going to have to deal with the problem sooner, which means we're going to bring about this crisis and nobody's prepared for it. So the question is, is this going to just turn on a dime? or we can have a massive, you know, implosion uh, quickly? Or are the markets going to gradually start to price some of this in? And when is it going to start? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, But I do think it's coming. And, you know, maybe it'll happen before uh, we swear in Donald Trump. Or is it possible that this rally can continue all the way to the inauguration and then have a huge buy the rumor, sell the fact? My gut would say no. I think something is going to have to happen before the election. And, of course, we're supposed to get a Fed rate hike uh, before then. And of course, the probability now is 100%. In fact, if it could be 100%, 110%, that's what it would be. Uh, But everybody is certain that 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 rate hike is coming. But no one cares anymore because everybody thinks that all the other stuff that we're going to have is going to offset the negative impact of rising interest rates when it can't even come close uh, to offsetting that damage.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800 727 7922. That's 800 727 7922. Non U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro Pacific Bank at EuropacBank.com. Euro Pacific Capital and Euro Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.
0: Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.